0: You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn, joined today by Suhas Schrader. Suhas, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Matt? Doing well. Had a few cups of coffee this morning and ready to go. Reading the news, seeing the headlines, what's going on in the world of supply chain. You've got an interesting story to talk about. Something to do with Sam's and Walmart, right? Yeah,
1: speaking of, you know, food and coffee, and I like to buy things in bulk sometimes. And good old Sam's Club, which is one of the fixtures of those kinds of warehouse stores, is turning twelve of its closed stores into fulfillment centers. So they're retrofitting these like, you know, stores that they shuttered down and they're turning them into fulfillment centers so they can deliver better. What do you think about that?
0: I guess my first reaction and not to be too flip, but aren't they literally called warehouse stores to begin with? (laughs) So how much retrofitting do you have to do? I really wonder.
1: I do wonder that. Yeah. Did you have to close (laughs) the store to really turn it into a warehouse?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe you need different software to identify where stuff is in the store and maybe a couple more forklifts to keep things moving. But all that stuff's already pretty neatly organized, mostly on pallets and available for really easy distribution to consumers. So my guess is maybe they have to beef up their loading docks a little bit and their capabilities from a pick and pack standpoint. But I can't imagine that's a very tough move to make.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because at, at that point, you know, really telling consumers to shop at a different location that's kind of more of a, like a retail space, I guess, versus like going into a modern warehouse and then having consumers being able to go in there. I don't feel like it makes that much of a difference in this day and age. If you're, If that's your business model where you are a warehouse store, you might as well have both options in every single place that you have, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the most part, when you look at these types of stores, they're placed near large urban or suburban centers where there's a decent amount of population. So it does make sense to have a fulfillment center located by the customer and from the looks of it they're putting these in you know decent sized cities or locales where there's a lot of customer concentration Memphis is one of the first and then you have Chicago and then they're gonna do some more conversions in Texas Florida Southern California etc so you know obviously they have the property warehousing space is a premium and especially that which is near the customer so it does make sense but yeah at the same time you know I think there's a lot of different models now for serving the consumer you know whether it's buy online, pick up in store or direct to consumer or you know shopping online. So it, it's interesting to have to differentiate still in this day and age is, is kind of what stands out.
1: I think that's the motivation behind it is that they're trying to focus on e-commerce now and they're trying to build out this kind of omni-channel fulfillment. But to me, again, it seems like it's, it's sort of a narrow focus where the business model should be that it should be focused around flexibility, right? So that You don't have to, like, pigeonhole yourself into, like, this is retrofitted so that it's dealing with e-commerce. This is fitted so that it's dealing with brick and mortar. There should be a business model that makes sense for that company, for Sam's Club, to be able to do, you know, everything and kind of be agile enough to switch if they need to.
0: Yeah, and it's funny because Sam's is part of Walmart, obviously. And when you look at Walmart itself, you know, it's one been ramping up its e-commerce capabilities obviously they bought jet.com they bought a lot of internet digital first or digital native companies uh, and kind of brought them into the the fold so obviously it's not just a technology thing they're buying that capability but they're also doing e-commerce fulfillment from the stores themselves at Walmart. So, you know, if the inventory is at a Walmart store, they can ship from there or they have, you know, pick and pack and, you know, the regular buy online, pick up in store. It's funny I say regular, but all of that stuff's in place. So it is funny to differentiate the two or slice them apart like that. Obviously, competition is pretty stiff. I mean, there's always Amazon. There's the startups like Box.com. So I do kind of get it. But yeah, it seems like the nature of stores is to become more flexible rather than to continue to wall each of them off. I know we like to
1: always get back to Amazon, but to me, if you're looking at the different ways that Amazon continues to shorten that time to customer, it is with things like Prime Now or with delivery where you can pick up your packages at a Whole Foods. So even there, there's their version of flexibility and it keeps getting both broader, but then also quicker to you in in various ways. For these kinds of retail stores that do have a huge brick-and-mortar presence, what is the equivalent of that, going broader and getting quicker to you, the customer?
0: I guess it's kind of, I want to say that they're taking advantage of their physical assets in a way, but also ramping up on the digital side as well. One of the biggest things, and one of the biggest challenges for anyone, especially if consumers aren't necessarily visiting stores the same way they used to, is closing the gap on that last mile. And that's not cheap and it's not easy. Today, I think about 96% of U.S. consumers shop online. Nine out of 10 say free shipping is a top incentive. And then, you know, 78% of those people expect to receive information about their orders after the order is made. Things like where it is and when it will arrive, ETAs, things like that. That comes from our own YouGov survey, actually. But it comes at a cost. Free shipping isn't free. UPS and FedEx parcel rates have risen on average 4.5% this year. Amazon, the you know, of course, the one that everyone associates with free and fast shipping. In 2016, delivering those goods fast and free cost that company $7.2 billion. I mean, it's huge. So I get it. A retailer is closer to a consumer. And that physical property helps them do that. And it makes a difference potentially. As well.
1: Do you think we'll get to the point where there are certain retail stores that come up, like new retail stores, I guess, that are brick and mortar, but they kind of act almost like consignment shops for some of these just e commerce only retailers right now? So, if I, like, for instance, you know, if there's a clothing brand that's just making clothes online and selling to you directly, you know, they could potentially have their goods be. There in this in this consignment place, but then so could Amazon, or so could anyone else that's online. Almost like a shared work, like a we work kind of space, but for for online resellers to get closer to the customer.
0: I love that concept. I don't think that we're too far from it. I mean, another Walmart property, Bonobos, is famous for its kind of showrooming model where. You know, you visit the location, it's not necessarily a store, but they do have inventory so you can feel the fabric and try on and make sure it fits right, and even order from the store, but you're not actually taking home anything from the store itself, at least none of the major pieces. That's all shipped to you, sometimes surprisingly fast. I have seen in a local mall, and I think this was probably put on by the mall, where they had like a little corner during the holiday season, like in a, a empty store front, <laughs> because, you know, malls have those, where they did actually have a bunch of internet-first brands kind of doing that. I think as a, you know, especially in America as shoppers, we like to see and touch and feel things and experience them, make sure they fit. I personally, and I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than waiting for a product, finding out it's the wrong thing, and then having to send it back. (laughs) It's just extra work. So I love the idea. Do you imagine that this is really a next step for evolving those types of stores? And is there a room in a traditional retailer, say a Walmart, to do that?
1: I mean, I think that it it makes sense from my perspective, if you are a large retailer like Walmart, it's kind of the equivalent of what Amazon has done successfully with Fulfilled by Amazon, right? So if you are, you know, you can have your own store on Amazon and then Amazon will fulfill it. So already you're getting quicker access to customers. And often people who have Prime will purchase from your small store because you can ship by Prime, right, So if you're fulfilling by Amazon. To me, it kind of makes sense for Walmart, you know, if you think about its suppliers and what it has, its vendors in the stores – Having some sort of service where you can have new vendors and smaller vendors or up-and-coming vendors that people are interested in showcase their products in your store would be a great benefit not only to the vendors but to Walmart itself to keep that brand relevant, to keep the items in there kind of hip, you know. And whatever they're trying to do, it makes sense as a way to compete on that front with Amazon.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it and a good testing ground for a big retailer to continue to be relevant. Obviously, like different companies are going to have different takes on it. You know, some will see those e-commerce vendors as competition in a way. And some of them realize that you got to coexist to work in this world. If you look at Kohl's, I mean, they're now turning their stores into return centers for Amazon products just to make it that much easier to return something you bought on Amazon. And hopefully on the other end, buy something at Kohl's. So. It's a different way of using your property, for sure, but is an idea that I think has some potential.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a very cool and I think necessary function for a lot of these places that still have a physical presence. And I think, you know, getting back to Sam's Club, it's an interesting phenomenon with these large warehouse stores like Sam's or BJ's or Costco, where, you know, people are going there to buy things in bulk, but... The advantage of that physical location is many. I mean, it, you can host not just stuff that's going to be sold in your store, but you could be a fulfillment center in general. I, do you think that there's a possibility for some of these these large warehouse retailers to actually become bona fide warehouses, too, for goods that are
0: not, not even necessarily their own? Definitely, you see them trying different things. Like Costco, you walk into one of those, they always have other vendors in there, like pitching you on a product or kind of showing something off that isn't necessarily part of their assortment at Costco, it's a partnership. So I think there's room for it. I think, you know, one thing when I circle back to this Walmart concept, I guess the one thing that stands out to me is when you have a large warehouse store, you know, it's a large footprint and obviously it has a lot of parking and it's usually going to be somewhere near a retail center to just completely turn that into a fulfillment center that to me seems a little odd cuz now all of a sudden you've got this kind of non-customer retail space and it is not accessible to the public i think you still want to invite people in so i do find you know that sort of closing off a store to completely repurposing it to be something that you know optically is going to be a little bit odd But I think it could work because you are closer to the consumer.
1: Yeah, I think in this case with Sam's Club, I think they had planned to close down some of these stores anyway. So it was one of those things where they're just reducing the presence across the United States, I think. So it was probably a way to repurpose the actual asset of the real estate space and all of that. But yeah, I mean, I think that it is an interesting point in that if you consider the store beyond its actual physical building space, but those different things like parking spaces and proximity to other stores. I think often retailers don't factor all of those things into the locations. And sometimes that might create a different business model or it might reveal a value that you didn't know you had before when you consider all of that in the context of both retail and fulfillment. And so I think that's something that is a really good thing to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. And, you know, every retail location is different and every region is different. I think, you know, in one area where it might be odd to have this closed retail space that's now a warehouse, might not matter so much if it's in a more rural environment or somewhere that isn't co-located with other businesses. So, you know, that's something that is worth considering, too. Ultimately, I mean, I think one of the advantages is, is that it doesn't necessarily change your supply chain too much. The way that you have it organized, the network, I mean, you would be fulfilling to those locations anyway. But now you're just kind of turning those locations into fulfillment centers of their own. So, you know, it, in a way, that large bulk order can still go to those locations. And then you have staff on the ground that makes those e-commerce orders that much closer to the customer and cheaper, hopefully, than delivering from somewhere far away.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the way that all of these things are heading, it is becoming these micro networks connected to larger networks that are spreading across the entire supply chain. So whether that's, you know, with Amazon's network, where huge company, huge locations, but then smaller locations that distribute from those and then individuals who just work sort of like uber drivers for amazon that put all of these packages into a truck and then during their their work time they go and deliver things right so i think these kinds of micro networks are going to become the future of of all of this kind of fulfillment so i could easily imagine you know different small mom-and-pop shops even becoming fulfillment centers on a small scale if they are connected to this larger technology network.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you do have everyone connected, it does make the process of you know inbound supply chain and that last mile fulfillment that much easier. And I think that's something that you got to give a lot of credit to some of these retails for trying to do. Obviously, there was a reason why those stores that Sam's Club had closed. But if you're able to make the most of that real estate and keep it as a customer-centered portion of your supply chain then that might be a win-win. So, you know, exciting to see what happens next. For sure. Uh Suhas, any other thoughts uh as we close this one out?
1: No, I think I think it'll be interesting to see where all of this goes. There's a lot of different business models being tried out and I think that there isn't a silver bullet for everybody, but I think that we're in an exciting time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, the pressure is on and, you know, the businesses that are experimenting and trying new things now are the ones that are going to survive as new competition and new ways of buying and receiving goods continue to appear for consumers. All right. This has been another episode of supply chain radio. Suhas as always been great having you on the show. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. Thanks for listening.